Hello and welcome to Truth Talks, brought to you by South African author, theologian and church leader, Dr. Christopher Pepler. My topic is tithing. And because this is such a sensitive subject for some folks, I might as well take it on the chin right up front by stating right at the outset in one sentence what my view is. Giving to the local church is both biblical and important, but tithing is a self-serving remnant from a long-distance age. Oops, there it is, out in the open. You know, I don't want to be facetious or sarcastic or critical, but in the past I have in, on many occasions sat, sat through Sunday services which have had two sermons, I mean essentially two sermons. The first one, anything up from between 10 minutes and 20 minutes or longer, is on tithing. And then they have an offering. And then the other one is on whatever is on the pastor's heart for that particular Sunday that he preaches from the Word of God. And this happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And I've heard many exhortations for people to tithe. And they normally take one of two forms. The first one is an appeal to God's law. Now this is taken from different scriptures, but normally it's built around what I would call Malachi's mallet. Malachi 3, 8-10, you see, reads, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And so this coercion is placed upon the people. Guys, it's a law, and it survived into our times, and if we don't do this, God is going to be most displeased with us, and we will pay the price for that. So, cough up and tithe. The second approach is what I'd call, let's do a good deal with God approach. And the continuation of the Malachi passage serves well here, because Malachi 3 verses 10 and 11 goes on and reads, Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. So uh, this is where this whole thing, let's give ten and God will give us back a hundred. Now that's a good deal. So on the one hand there's Malachi's mallet. If you don't tithe, God is going to smack you. He's going to hit you with Malachi's mallet. On the other end is if you do tithe, it's actually a great idea because if you give ten dollars or ten rands, you're likely to get a hundred back because that's what God said. Now, here's the question. Does the Bible insist that disciples of the Lord Jesus give a tenth of whatever they earn? And are pastors righteous when they insist that their members tithe and tithe into the local church for that matter? The third question is, should we, the members of local churches, be financially funding our local church? Three questions, and my answer in short to all three is, no to the first, no to the second, and yes to the third. Let me explain. Tithing really is a word which describes a tenth of something. And it has its origin in the life of Old Testament Israel. It's what we today would term as income tax. You see, the tithe, a 10% of whatever 
revenue or produce came into the hands of the Israelites was used to pay for Israel's system of government. This is before the advent of kings and kingdoms. The priests administered the religious rituals and rites, ceremonies and sacrifices, and the judges administered justice and provided national leadership. So all adult citizens were required to pay a tax of one-tenth, a tithe, and this was to fund the religious and judicial systems. Now you'll find uh, the requirement for tithing in the Old Testament in many passages. I'll just give you two, Leviticus 27.30 and Numbers 18 verse 26. But here's the thing, do we find the concept of tithing in the New Testament, the concept of tithing in the New Testament? Uh, no, we don't. But we do find a few references to it. And its first appearance in the New Testament is when Jesus was declaring dire woes upon the Pharisees. Do you remember he said, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. You'll find that in Luke 11:42, also in Matthew 23, verse 23. So the idea here is that, as Jesus is saying, just as the Pharisees were to tithe, but they were also to remember mercy and so on, then so we too should tithe. That Jesus is said to be endorsing the payment of the tithe. Now advocates of this view often link this statement by Jesus with what he said concerning the law. And you'll find that in Matthew 5 verse 20. He said this, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So they say, you see, here Jesus is not only endorsing the tithe, but he's also claiming that non-tithers won't go to heaven. So, you know, Jesus says tithe like the Pharisees did, and if you don't, you're in trouble. Well, is he really endorsing the tithe here? Is this really what these texts mean? Well, I don't think they do. In fact, I think that this uh, archaic understanding of these passages is as back to front as the word eat it. And by now you would have guessed, I'm sure, that eat it means tithe, spelled backwards. You see, the address to the Pharisees consists of woes, dire woes, not affirmations. The, the Matthew 23 passage in fact starts with Jesus telling his followers that they were to obey the Pharisees despite the Pharisees' hypocrisy because they, the Pharisees, were the custodians of the law of Moses. Well, you see, it's relatively clear. Before Jesus died to settle the demands of the law, all Jews, and that included those very early disciples who were still Jews, they were still under the law. They could only be redeemed and become righteous before God if they obeyed all of the law. Every jot and every tittle and every line and every precept of the law if they were to find righteousness before God. So his statement recorded in Matthew 5.20 it isn't a, an endorsement of the tithing. It's simply reinforcing this truth. 
that I've just told you. However, Jesus put to death the demands of the law when he died on the cross of Calvary. And Paul writes a lot about this. He writes how Jesus abolished in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, Ephesians 2.15. And then he also wrote in places like Romans 3.21 and 22, he wrote this, Now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known, to which the law of the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Jesus was not endorsing the law of tithing for his followers. He was simply pointing out that outside of salvation in him and him alone, there was no righteousness for the Jews apart from a scrupulous obedience to all the dictates of the law of Moses. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul then spells out the gospel-orientated understanding of financial giving. And you'll find that in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Giving, you see, especially giving to the local church, which of course is the extended family of God, is a privilege and it's a joy. It pleases God and it makes us happy. And it also provides the financial means for the local church to function, to serve, to teach, to care, and to reach out into its environment and beyond with the gospel of salvation in Christ Jesus. I believe that some pastors preach tithing and even demand the tithe for their local church because they sincerely believe that it's biblical. But I truly believe that they are sincerely wrong. Perhaps others think that they will be financially insecure if they do not constantly exhort their people to tithe. But surely insecurity comes from not trusting God rather than from a concern over people's adherence to a redundant Old Testament law. I left a very well-paid executive job in the banking industry to pastor a tiny church of 17 or so people. And I continued to lead that church as it grew and thrived over three decades. And never in all that time did I preach tithing. And never in all that time did my family not have the essentials of life. God provided for us adequately and faithfully through the local church. You see, God does that, you know. I asked my daughter Corin to join us and to ask some questions, the kind of questions that perhaps you wish you had the ability to be able to ask, and then we'll dialogue over that. Oh, here she is now. Hello, sweetheart. Come hey, and join baby. us, and let's discuss the questions that you have. Okay, good. Um, whenever I see you talking about Old Testament laws, I always feel a little bit nervous, and it's because of that um, passage in Matthew 5 where it says, not the smallest letter on earth will disappear until the law does or something like that yeah okay so the answer that my understanding of this is uh, as i've actually said in, in the article a bit early on in the truth talk the disciples and everybody before them in the jewish nation were under the law mm. so they had to be scrupulously adhering to the law to find righteousness before God. And that was right up until Jesus died and rose again. So when he's saying this to them, he's saying, you know, everybody's still under the law. 
you've got to obey the law absolutely and none of it will pass away until everything is accomplished. When he died on the cross of Calvary, the last words he said is, it is done. Another translation of it is done, it is accomplished. So when he says, until heaven and earth disappear, in Matthew 5.18, he says, yes. um, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Yeah, Why have we still got heaven and earth then? It hasn't disappeared. Yeah, I don't understand it as that. I, I understand it as him making this uh, really powerful statement. It's absolute. The law is in place and nothing is going to be changed. He also said, I have not come to do away with the law, mm. but to fulfill it. Mm. And in all his living and all, all his dictates, he actually said, let me give you the true meaning of the law. Yeah. And he actually interpreted it for them. And then when he dies, he fulfills it. He okay. doesn't do away with it. He fulfills it. Okay, um, so what does that mean, like, for example, for the Ten Commandments, because they're part of the law, a big part of the law? Yeah, the, uh, the Ten Commandments actually serve two functions, really. The first one is, by the way, when you look at the Ten Commandments, it's very interesting that more of them are about man's well-being than they are about God's honor. Mm. So God was more concerned, as usual, about putting down dictates and instructions which would benefit his people. Mm. So by obeying those and by living according to those, even in our day, we are doing the right thing, we are obeying, we are doing what is best for ourselves and for society and so on. Yeah. So just because we are under grace, just because we are saved by the Spirit of God, doesn't give us license to abandon the yardsticks and the principles and the priorities and the dictates of God as set out in, in the Old Testament. So we, we still live according to those, but we are not legally bound. Our salvation is not tied up to whether or not we obey them. Our salvation depends on whether God has extended his grace to us and we've accepted the rebirth of our spirits. Okay. Okay, well, good. Well, on, on to the matter at hand, which is mm. tithing. I'm sure I've, I've also heard all about how one must tithe. Um, you know, particularly with, as you say, the let's make a deal approach. You know, God will give you back so much more. If you just put some in, then you'll get back so much more than what you ever got. And, um, you know, then in my experience, I've even, you know, I've often been preached that, that God says we must test him on it. And I don't think God says that to many things. So when he says test me on this, then I, I kind of want to, to see. <laughs> to see. Um, so, you know, what, what harm, like, wh how do you know this isn't what we're supposed to be doing, and why do these, where do these come from then, all these, I mean, they seem to have a variety of verses that they pull out, not just the two. Yeah, sure, look, tithing is part of the Old Testament covenant, there's absolutely no doubt about it. So, tithing was instituted by God for the nation of Israel, it provides an income tax, it provides the ability of Israel to, to govern through the priests, later through the kings and through the judges before them and so on. But it was also a sign of the covenant. So there were many signs which indicated that the people of Old Testament Israel were part of a covenant with God. Tithing was one of them. Okay. Circumcision was another sign of the covenant. How did you know if somebody was in covenant with God? Well, tithing was an indication of that. It was all wrapped up with the Old Testament covenant. Yeah. So there's dozens of um, passages talking about tithing because as I said just now right up until when Jesus died on the cross to 
to actually fulfill the whole of the law and the old covenant and to usher in the new covenant, all of the people of God were under the law. The law, yeah. So yeah, there's lots in the Old Testament we can we can quote about tithing, okay. but that uh, that doesn't mean that the law of a tithing applies to us. Okay. Because then then our salvation would just be a, a works-driven thing. You know, then you start getting into the crazy arguments about okay, well then we shouldn't worship on Sundays either. Mm. It should be the Jewish Sabbath, and and so you get into this horrible legalism because you're trying to find righteousness through obeying a whole bunch of laws yeah. which have been fulfilled in Jesus. Yeah. And Paul actually wrote a whole letter, the letter to the Galatians about that. And he said, you know, you foolish Galatians, you started so well, what's happened to you? Why are you reverting to special days and laws and sacrifices and so on? Mm. I think maybe it's it's sometimes easier to follow a set of laws than it is to, to love everyone. <laughs> Uh, yeah, of course. So formalized <laughs> religion is sort of comforting to some folk yeah. because you can kind of do it by numbers. Well, especially if you've got your 10% worked out, then that's you done for the month. Yeah. You know, in, in a misinformed head. Yeah. Um, but now you do say that that's obviously giving to your local church is good because, you know, you want to be part of your community and churches do wonderful things for that community and we as people can benefit from the things that they do and we do with them so if if you if no one ever preaches about tithing or or giving or anything like that then how do you know people are actually going to give anything and they're not just going to sort of tip the pastor when prodded uh, okay so i've not said anything against preaching on giving giving is one of the things that should be covered in the teaching program of the church okay so in church we should regularly be preaching on many things about love, about fellowship, about how the church operates, about the authority of scripture, about all sorts of stuff. One of the things should be on giving. Mm. And we should be instructing our people, essentially out of 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9, what Christian giving actually is, how uh, giving to the local church is important, and even give them some practical advice. So for instance, I believe that everybody should be sitting, if you're married for instance, you should sit with your partner and do a budget. If you're single, you should sit from time to time and say, where will I be spending the money I have? And then you make some priority decisions. And giving to the local church should be a priority item. It shouldn't just be, well, if I've got money left over at the end. Because it's our extended family and it's important to us and to the kingdom of God. So we want to be able to give our resources to it. The same way as we want to give our time to it and our talents to it, we want to give our financial resources to the local church. Okay, so you're sitting there in the beginning of the month with your budget, and obviously in these cash-strapped times, no one wants to give anybody to nobody. So what 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 is your percentage that you thumbsuck? I mean, is it 10%? <laughs> no, you see, again, I, I know this argument has been used by a lot of folk. They've often, I've, I've had chats with pastors who have said, well, I don't believe in the law of tithing, but 10% is a handy guideline, and so I'll just tell the folk it's 10%. Yeah. But, but you know, it's not 10% because, uh, and Jesus told the story about the rich man and the widow giving her offering and so on. Mm. The point is, we give according to what we have and we give it generously and freely and with a good heart from what we have. So for some, a person might give uh, a million rand, another person might give 10 rand. The percentage is absolutely irrelevant point is what they're giving because they've decided in their hearts before God that that's what they want to give. Okay. But they take it seriously. They don't just think, oh, well, okay, um, 
I'll give as little as possible, that would be dishonoring to God and to the church and to themselves, quite frankly. Mm. It, that, that's interesting because I would think 10% is 10% for anyone, but I suppose if you've got nothing, then 10% is <laughs> a hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah, uh, precisely. <laughs> you know, some people just can't afford anything. In fact, you know, Paul, in the passages I refer to in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, he speaks about this, he writes about this, and he says, you know, don't, don't give from what you don't have. Yeah. You've got to give from what you do have. Yeah. Now, if you don't have anything, what have you got to give? Yeah. Now, to go into debt to give is obviously abominable. It's a crazy idea. Yes, yeah. Um, that's irresponsible. Mm. To, to give to the local church if your children are starving is equally irresponsible. Yeah. And that's not going to please God. Yeah. So, we have to sit down and responsibly say, look, I've got many priorities in my life, and uh, funding the local church is one of my priorities and I have a certain source of income and from that I'm going to be a good steward and meet my priority obligations and my and my desires and my plannings. I don't know if it's just the satisfaction of feeling like one has done something good but I personally feel good if I you know if I if I give you know more than what I what I have I mean I don't put myself into debt but to sort of calmly work out a pre-arranged budget feels <laughs> also feels uh, a bit um, scientific for me. No, look, there will be times when, uh, over and above how you've figured it out at the beginning of the year or whatever, there will be times when you feel led to give more. That's fine. Okay. And there will be special circumstances. And um, maybe the pastor will even get up in church one day, as, as often happens, and say, look, guys, you know, thank you to those who are, are regular givers, but, you know, we're short and, we, and we're not being able to support our outreach programs at the moment. Mm -hmm. And then you'd think, oh, darn it, I've got a bit more. Yeah, I can give more. And then you do. Can our outreach programs are all very well and good, but what if the pastor got up and said, um, you know, thank you for your support, but we're not able to increase our church size to a massive super size church and you're sitting in the congregation thinking oh i like this size actually then then do you make a decision a little judgment call by yourself and decide well i'm not going to give if this is what they're going to use my money for no you know as a as a retired pastor this used to be the heebie-jeebs it's just a form of people wanting to control mm -hmm. decisions and so if you're very, very good givers who are putting lots of money into the church, then imagine if they thought, well, I'll tell you what, I'll just make sure they understand that it's my way or the highway by withholding my money for the next couple of months. Then they yeah. can't do it anyway. Well, yeah. that's wrong. Well, what we're supposed to be doing is we're supposed to be good members of the church. We're supposed to discuss these things with our leaders. And if we think the church is going in the wrong direction, we should yeah. be discussing it. We should, and uh, And then... Part of supporting our church is through prayer and it's through attendance and it's through using our ministry gifts and so on, but it's mm. also through giving. And, and and so even if you think some things are not what you would do, you would still support mm. it, um, and that would be the right thing. If it's a huge issue and you really think it's it's sinful to continue that way, then rather go and talk to the leaders and frankly stop being a member if you think the church is that wrong. Yeah, I, I do like to think of it in a relational sort of environment. Um, you know, if they were a member of my family, yes, what I would do, and and I would, you know, I'd support them even if they 
weren't doing everything right, but if they were doing something incredibly objectionable, <laughs> I might say something. Well, that's right. You would talk about it. You would reason together. That's the point. But to actually withhold money is a, it's basically boycotting your own family and your own church family. Yeah. And there's just something awfully wrong about that. Now, most of the churches, just to end off, most of the churches I've been to do practice some kind of tithing, if not giving. And even if they don't say the word tithe, people, I think, in their heads now associate sort of 10%, so they don't pull out a 50-cent a piece when the, the basket comes around. If, if that was just dropped completely from all the churches, how would they survive? Well, I'll go back to what I said earlier. Um, giving should never be dropped from the church's teaching curriculum. Okay. The church is supposed to be teaching on a whole range of things, and giving is really important. You know, I've always regarded money as our economic blood, lifeblood. Mm. So the the church requires money to survive in the modern world, and what have we got to show for the huge number of hours of labour and blood and sweat and tears that we put into our jobs? We've got money. That's all we've got. Yeah. So how we use our money is really important. So we should consistently be uh, reasoning together and, and talking to people about the use of our money, the, the good and godly use of our money. So it's not a subject that you should be ignored or shied away from. But I passionately believe that we're, we're doing a huge disservice to people by trying to put them once again under the yoke of an archaic, redundant Old Testament system. That's law. Mm. And our salvation and our relationship with Jesus does not depend on our adherence to laws. And it shows up in the church, and it's, when it shows up in the church, it's called legalism. Okay. And legalism is one of the poisons in the bloodstream of the church. You know. Yeah. So yeah. We, uh, I'm, I'm firmly opposed to teaching the legalistic tithing. I'm firmly in favor of a regular diet of teaching about how to give, and how to give generously, and how to give joyfully. Okay, and I, I don't want um, the full the full sermon on it, <laughs> but but uh, on a practical level, I'm sitting with my um, my budget at the beginning of the month. Say I've got a thousand rand that I've I feel I can I want to give. I want to give to God. Does that mean I can allot that between the beggars on the street and the SPCA and the church? How does one actually practically go about this? Okay, so you start with the big picture. We're called to be givers. So we're called to give to the beggars on the street if we feel that's the right thing to do. And we're called to help our neighbor when you see them in distress, if that's the right thing to do. But we're also called to be giving into our local family. So if our, our parents uh, or children or brothers or sisters in our physical families are in trouble, we'd give to them, wouldn't we not? Yes. And it's the same thing in the church. We give into the church family. It's an extended family. But it's not a legalistic thing. So we don't say, well, you see, the mindset which says, I must only give to the church and not to the beggar on the street. And if I give to the beggar on the street, then uh, then I'm taking it away from the church, is this legalistic mindset again, which is saying, mm. how much of my 10% am I chopping up here? <laughs> yes. Yeah. And that's not the way to look at it, honestly. By the okay. way, the bigger on the streets is, uh, is, is fine to give, but that's hardly extending the kingdom of God unless it's linked <laughs> in some way to trying to help him to understand truth. Or he's an angel. You will never benefit us, yeah. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much, Dad. That's, that's enlightened me. Okay. Um, and I'll speak to you next time. Okay. God bless you. Bye, everybody. You 
Thank you for listening to Truth Talks from Truth is the Word Ministry. If you'd like to share your views, read up on related topics, or purchase one of Dr. Pepler's books, please visit his blog on truthistheword.com. And remember, truth talks.